1 Samuel chapter 25 tonight. I really enjoy digging into personalities that have very little of the Scripture dedicated to them. One of the people we're going to look at tonight only has this chapter. I want to give you the narrative of the passage, and we'll read some of the verses as we work through it, and we've read the first 13 already. In chapter 24, David has shown great mercy to Saul and not killed him when he was in a very compromising position. Now, I'm going to be careful about how I say this, but if you know the story, Saul has separated himself from his army, and he has slipped into a cave thinking he has some privacy. What he doesn't know is not only does he not have privacy, 600 men are holed up in that cave, and he's in a very, very delicate position the prime opportunity to kill him and be done with all this foolishness of him trying to kill David. And yet David shows him mercy. Good for David. That's what he should have done. He displays a character that is virtually unheard of in that culture. Now we move into chapter 25, and the first thing we see is the death of Samuel. And don't underestimate the impact that that had on David. David loved Samuel, and Samuel loved David. And Samuel, at this point, is one of the few allies David has. And Samuel dies. He was a key spiritual and emotional figure in David's life. So David and his men, they, obviously David doesn't go to the funeral. That would be a dangerous thing. So he and his men, 600 strong, find themselves again in the wilderness of Paran near a place called Moan. He hid there once before in chapter 23. And while there, his men had protected the workers of a man named Nabal. You see, Nabal had a lot of sheep and a lot of goats, and he occupied a lot of land. And so it was pretty common for poachers and rustlers to come by, kill shepherds, take the stock, and keep on going. But none of that happened because David and his men surrounded this and kept them safe and kept them free of any kind of problems there. So the time of shearing comes, and that's a time in which there's feasts and there's festivals, and, and usually these wealthy landowners traditionally would share their bounty with other people. And so David comes to him, or sends representatives to him, ten of them, and says, listen, we've been protecting your people, we've been doing you a favor here, and given that it's sheep shearing time, why don't you, uh, whatever you think's best, why don't you just, you know, send us some of, the, some of the bounty as a thank you. Now, let's be honest. When we read it from our perspective in this culture, it sounds like a shakedown, doesn't it? I mean, what about you? What about if somebody calls you up and says, hey, I just want to let you know that uh, we've been kind of surrounding your property and nothing bad's happened to you, so you ought to give us something. You know what I'm going to tell you? Well, I didn't ask you to do that. I don't even know who you are. So keep on moving, you know. So when we first look at this, we're like, I don't know that Nabal's completely out of his mind on this thing. But we're going to see that, that 
there's a lot of reasons why Nabal was completely wrong here. And, and, and David's request is completely in line with the culture of the day. And so Nabal's response is unwise. It is disingenuous. He did know David. And we're going to talk about later how we know that he knew David, despite his claim to the contrary. He insults David. First of all, he, he kind of implies that he's a runaway slave, which tells us that he was probably pro-Saul. Okay? So he insults him, and then he refuses to accommodate David's request. And so David responds by setting aside 400 of his 600 men and says, get your swords on, boys. We're going to go down there. We're going to kill Nabal, and we're going to kill every man in his household. Okay? We find that out later. Nabal's wife, Abigail, learns of all this and sends ahead a peace offering. What's she send? Bread? Mutton? Wine? Corn? Raisins? And figs? That's not bad. And she sends a ton of it. And she sends it on and she says, I'm going to go and I'm going to try to intercept David. And she does. And when she does, she pleads against this course of action and her efforts are successful. And, and when she later reveals this to Nabal, it appears as though Nabal suffers what we think was probably a stroke. And he lingered for 10 days and finally died. And what we want to do is we want to take some time and we want to look at each character. Nabal, David, and Abigail. And we want to learn what we can for their examples. And if God will help us tonight, we want to choose the right example. Choosing the right example. Father, would you help us tonight as we look to your word? I am keenly aware tonight of the heavy responsibility that is upon me to rightly divide your word of truth. So help me to do so faithfully. Help me to do so accurately. And Lord, would you use your word and speak to our hearts and make us what you'd have us to be tonight. And may the lovely Lord Jesus be lifted up in all of it. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's begin, first of all, with Nabal. Nabal came from a noble heritage, noble Nabal, or not so noble Nabal. Came from a good heritage. He was a descendant of Caleb. I remind you that Caleb was one of two men that believed God regarding the conquering of the promised land. Caleb and Joshua were the only ones exempt from God's prohibition of anyone over 20 going into the promised land. Caleb and Joshua went in. Caleb at 80 years old took on, took on a crowd and took, took care of a mountain. Caleb was a hero. And Nabal descended from him. Your heritage has very little to do with how you turn out. Can I remind you, if you come from a tough heritage, a bad heritage, that doesn't mean you have to keep going that direction. You can be better than that. But don't rest on coming from a good heritage either. I've seen a lot of good, solid parents have kids that go wrong. Be careful about leaning on that. Now, Nabal, back then, I just can't imagine why a parent would name their kid Nabal. Because the word Nabal means fool. Oh, he's so beautiful. What should we call him? Fool. You know, and parents usually do put some thought into this. 
They did especially in Bible times, and usually they do today. I mean, you, I hope you at least thought about what you're putting your kid under for the rest of their lives, right? Now, my parents, they nailed it. John Andrew, which means strong and manly, gift from God. They got it. They nailed it. You know? But, but there's kids out there named Adolf. Poor kids. There's kids out there named Judas. Poor kids. You know? There's kids out there named Espen. ESPN. Yeah, somebody's a sports nut. It's true. But none of them were as bad as Nabal. What do we call him? Fool. And he lived up to it or down to it. He was described as being harsh. That's what that word churlish means. And evil in his doings. This guy was crooked. This guy was crooked. It is very possible that the wealth that he had, he probably attained through ill-gotten gains. He was not known to be an honest man. He was not known to be a friendly man. And his wife, it, it would seem, just culturally, was probably a good bit younger and probably had been arranged to marry him. Otherwise, I can't imagine a woman like Abigail being attracted to a man like Nabal. I doubt she had a choice in the matter. Nabal was ruthless. He was loveless. He was a land baron who ruled by fear instead of love or respect. And so when David made this request, it reveals three terrible flaws in Nabal. Number one, the truth was secondary to his greed. His greed was more important to him than the truth. All he wanted to do was maintain his wealth. And it's true for a lot of people that are wealthy. The wealthier they get, the stingier they get. God intends for us to be conduits. He wants to work through us. But people that are not in the right relationship with God, as they, as they amass wealth with, with a few exceptions, but not many, they tend to be stingier and stingier. This man had thousands of sheep and he wasn't willing to give away ten. His greed had overcome him, even to the point that he ignored the truth. Why do I know that he ignored the truth? Because he said he didn't know David. But look at verse 10. And Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? Watch this. And who is the son of Jesse? Well, for not knowing somebody, you know a little bit about him. Did you catch that? I don't know Jesse's boy, David. Yeah, you did. Probably they interacted in chapter 23 when David was there the first time. You don't have as many people as David has, and he doesn't have as many people as Nabal has, and there's not some interaction. David is a popular and a, 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 a public enough figure that Nabal absolutely knew who he was. I mean, think of it on a smaller scale. There's probably not too many people that get around in this, in this town much that don't know who I am. They know that, or, or let's, let's broaden it, that don't know fellowship. They know we exist, at least. And many people have recognized me. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, I'm some big shot, but they just, you stay around long enough somewhere, people get to know you. You see people at enough funerals, and by the way, there's some people around here, that's all they do is go to funerals. Did you know that? I've, I've, 
done funerals, a lot of times they'll call me if somebody doesn't have a pastor. And there's just certain people, they go to all of them. I don't know if they think there's going to be food or what's going on. But they're always at funerals. I don't think anybody's going to come to this poor fellow's funeral. I know a few people I think will show up. And sure enough, there they are. I mean, you hang around long enough, people are going to know who you are. Another reason we think we know he knew him. According to verse number 30, Abigail knew him. Abigail didn't just know who David was. She knew that he was going to be the next king. How about that? If Abigail knew about David, it's hard to believe that her husband didn't. He sacrificed the truth, made it secondary to his greed. You know what else he did? He gave no thought to consequences. Have you ever known somebody like that? They just live by the seat of their pants, just willy-nilly, do what they want, and they don't worry about the consequences thereof. They don't even think about it. What do we have in Nabal? Nabal shoots his mouth off like he's somebody and doesn't even ponder the fact that David had the wherewithal to destroy him right then and there. Yeah. And even if David wasn't going to destroy him right then and there, one day David would be king, and you better believe he'll take care of business once he's king. Nabal didn't give any thought to that at all. He just fired off at the mouth and got all chesty and everything because that's how Nabal was. He was a fool. You know what else? He was completely oblivious to the danger around him. David has 400 men geared up to come slaughter him and all of the men in his household and Nabal had no idea. What is Nabal doing when David's up there getting ready to come? Nabal's having a party. Kind of makes you think of Belshazzar, doesn't it? Belshazzar throws a party, has no idea that the Medes are all surrounding. Darius is coming in to take over the kingdom. And that's when the, the hand of God appears and writes, Meeny, meeny, tikulu farsin on the wall. Belshazzar had no idea. Neither, neither did Nabal. Look at verse number uh, 36. And Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he held a feast in his house. He's partying like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunken. Wherefore, she told him nothing, less or more, until the morning light. But it came to pass in the morning, when the wine was gone out of Nabal, and his wife had told him of these things, that his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. What happens? Nabal's sobering up. Nabal's probably hung over to no end. And Abigail says, Nabal, I want you to know something. Last night while you were drunk as a skunk, David had 400 people ready to come in here and slaughter us all. And it so shook him. His blood pressure rose. And boom, he becomes as a stone. And in 10 days he dies. Because he had no sense of the danger around him. Now, what does that have to do with us? How many of us, if we're honest, have a little bit of Nabal in us? Oh, not me. Oh, no. Is God's truth secondary to satisfying our desires? 
Sometimes. Do we live in light of the consequences of our choices? Sometimes we don't. Are we circumspect regarding the dangers that lurk around us? It's interesting. What does Nabal's name mean? Fool, right? Hold your place here. Go to Ephesians 5. Go to Ephesians 5. Check this out. Ephesians 5, verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, looking all the way around, not as what? Fools. Paul is basically saying, don't be like Nabal. All right, we're back in 1 Samuel 25. We see Nabal. But now let's look at David. Oh, good. David's somebody, man after God's own heart. I can be like David. I'd offer you this thought. In this story, probably not. Not in this story. David was awesome, but he wasn't very awesome here. We tend to view David in a perpetually heroic light, and a lot of times that's merited. But in this story, we see some flaws, five in particular. All right, look at verse 4. Nabal, and David heard in the wilderness that Nabal did shear his sheep. He sent out ten young men. He said to the young men, get you up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And he offers this, he offers this, this plan. Why don't you go ahead and, and give us some of that, uh, some of that uh, excess. You know what he did? He assumed instead of arranged. He assumed instead of arranged. You know what else David did wrong here? He was driven by his passions. Look at verse 12. So David's young men turned their way and went again and came and told him all their sayings. And David said unto his men, Gird you on every man his sword. And they gird on every man his sword. So these men come back to David. And David's sitting there wherever he is. And they said, David, we... We talked to Nabal, and he laughed us out of the room, sent us away with nothing. Huh. Well, that's unfortunate. I'm going to have to pray about that. I'm going to have to see what the Lord wants us to do. No, that's not what David did at all. They told David, and what did he do? That's it. Nobody's going to act like that around us. Nobody's going to do us wrong like that. Get your sword, swords, boys. We're going to go kill some people. Sounds to me like David's driven by his passions. You know what else he did? He allowed pride to cloud wisdom. Look at verse 21. This shows us what motivated David's passions. Now David had said, Surely in vain have I kept all that this fellow hath in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that pertained unto him, and he hath requited me evil for good. And, and so and more also do God unto the enemies of who? David. David's not mad that somebody's offended God. He's mad that somebody's offended him. He's insulted. 
He's insulted. You know what else? He was inconsistent in his justice. Now think this through. Nabal's a fool, no question. But think this through. Saul has actively tried to kill David. Saul has sought to take David out and anybody who would be with him, even to the point that Saul took a shot at his own son for being a friend to David. Saul has tried to end David's life. And what does David render to him? Mercy. But then Nabal comes along. And yeah, Nabal, this was a bad decision by Nabal. But compare it. Saul tried to kill him. Nabal said, you can't have any of my stuff. Which is worse? The punishment didn't really fit the crime, did it? But David, showing mercy to Saul, who didn't deserve it, he's going to kill Nabal, and, and not for nothing, a bunch of innocent people that had nothing to do with any of this because somebody's offended him. His justice is inconsistent. One last thing that David did. He exceeded his authority. Can I ask you, what authority did David have to execute anybody? Is he king yet? No. Now, can he defend himself? Certainly. Can he fight against the enemies of Israel? Absolutely. But as far as just going through the badlands and executing people because they do it, does he have the authority to do that? And the answer is no. No. So now, let's look in the mirror of God's word and let's ask ourselves, do these things exist in our lives? Do we live planned, purposed, prayerful lives, or do we make assumptions and then react when things happen in a way we don't think they should? Hmm? Are we driven by our passions? One of the greatest benefits that I have in my life is I have two people in my life that predict when my passions may get a little sideways. And are ready to restrain me. That's my wife and Brother Davies. Many times, both of them have seen me hear about a situation, and my immediate reaction is to just scorched earth this thing. By the way, your immediate reaction is almost never right. As Christians, we shouldn't react. We should respond. And both of them have spent more time than they should telling old David here, easy, big fellow. How about we take some time and pray about this? Now you look at me and you say, well, I thought you were godlier than that. Well, you're not that godly either. Every one of us in here at some point has been ruled by our passions. And by the way, that doesn't have to be anger. That can be fear. Or anything in between. 
Do we allow our pride to cloud our wisdom? As we deal with the lost and dying world, are we more offended when people come against us than when they come against God? I've gotten to where I hate the month of June. It blows my mind. I'm just going... I probably shouldn't. Veterans get one day. Fallen veterans get one day. African Americans who have suffered terribly in this country's history, and they have. They get a month, but they get February. The shortest, coldest month of the year. But we celebrate a lifestyle that is wicked for the entire month of June. Our president, in my opinion, has betrayed the memory of every soldier that has died under our flag by removing the American flag from the central place on the White House and replacing it with a pride flag. With all due respect to President Biden, he is wrong. Now, let me be careful. Am I to treat these folks unkindly? No. They're sinners just like every other sinner that's out there, and we ought to try to win them for Christ. But at the same time, we've still, got to, we've still got to call a spade a spade, and that lifestyle is wrong according to the Word of God. Now, here's the question I want to ask you. Are you more offended because of how, you affect, how it affects you, or are you more offended because of what it does against God? It doesn't mean a thing in the world to me if Cracker Barrel wants to have a rainbow-colored rocking chair out there. I can choose not to go to Cracker Barrel. By the way, they had one strike on them selling booze. I don't have to go to Target. Why am I so mad about I don't get to go to Target. No, we ought to be fired up about this because it is in violation of the word of God. But you know what? We can get all fired up about pride stuff, but we don't see a thing in the world wrong with people shacking up the regular way, do we? Hmm? Sin is sin, and we ought to be against it. Yeah, this is one of those messages that's going to get me on one of them websites. <laughs> well, good. Good. I need a little publicity. David was upset because this man offended him, but he didn't give any thought of what God thought about it. And how about us? How many times do we get more upset with how things affect us than what it must mean to God? Y'all are paying the price for the short message this morning. How about this one? Are we inconsistent in how we judge wrong in ourselves or others? Well, we can overlook sins of people we like, can't we? And we can certainly overlook sins in our own lives. Yeah. Hallelujah. And do we exceed our authority and do what only God should be doing? You know, it's been one of the hardest things for me as a pastor. It's not been knowing when to act. It's been knowing when to do nothing. 
But I found that when I give things over to God, more often than not, God takes care of it. We're going to find out. David didn't need to kill Nabal. God's going to do it. So we've seen Nabal. Fool. We've seen David. But we're looking to choose the right example. We've got one more. Abigail. Abigail. Now we've looked at flaws from Nabal and looked at flaws from David. I'll be candid with you. I can't find a flaw in Abigail. Now, I'm not saying she was sinless, but in this story, she did everything right. So what do we see in Abigail? I see seven things. Number one, she placed people over possessions. Nabal wouldn't cut loose anything. What does Abigail do? Look at verse 13. David said unto his men, Gird ye on every man his sword, and they girded on every man his sword, and David also girded on his sword, and there went up after David about 400 men, and 200 abode by the stuff. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, by the way, he understood sometimes you can't get through to the dude, you go to his wife. Some of y'all have done that. Miss Crystal, can you please talk some sense into him? And I'd like to tell you that my wife comes to me and I'm just completely blown away by her wisdom and her insight. And all. No, it's mostly I'm scared of her. <laughs> so well played, y'all. One of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to salute our master, and he railed on them. But the men were very good unto us. We were not hurt, neither missed we anything as long as we were conversant with them. Did you catch that? If they just talked to us, if we just talked to them, they were real nice to us. When we were in the fields, they were a wall unto us both by night and day. All the while we were with, the keep, with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore know and consider what thou wilt do, for evil is determined against our master and against all his household, for he is such a son of Belial that a man cannot speak to him. Then Abigail made haste, and took 200 loaves, two bottles of wine, and five sheep ready-dressed, and five measures of parched corn, and a hundred clusters of raisins, and 200 cakes of figs, and laid them on asses. And she said unto her servants, Go on before me. Nabal wouldn't cut loose anything. Abigail said, Empty the pantry. Because people are more important than possessions. How many times have we allowed possessions to be more important to us than people? I have to live up to a certain lifestyle. I have to maintain a certain status. And we sacrifice people in the the process. You know what else? She displayed humility instead of hubris. 23. When Abigail saw David, she hasted and lighted off the ass and fell before David on her face and bowed herself to the ground and fell at his feet and said, Upon me, my Lord, upon me. It's interesting. In this exchange, she uses the term Lord for David 14 times. That's submission. 
That's submission. She displayed humility instead of hubris. You know what else? She took responsibility instead of deflecting it. We're still in verse 24. She fell at his feet and said, Upon me, Lord, upon me, let this iniquity be. Had she done anything wrong? Nope. But she was prepared to take responsibility because that's what needed to be done. And yet, let's be honest, Christians. How many times do we look at a situation, our immediate first reaction is, that's not my problem, not my circus, not my monkeys. Now, I'm not forgetting in the middle of things you ought not be in the middle of, but you know what? It would do us well to start taking responsibility where others won't. You're the last one here, and the light's still on in the auditorium. Well, I guess Foster's going to get yelled at. Or, or, you can come in here and cut the light off. Right? Or maybe this. I'll be glad when the people of my country get right with God. No. It's time for me to get right with God. See, Abigail identified with these people. And she took responsibility where she really didn't have to. Remember, he's just going to kill the men, not the women. That would have helped her out. Because I doubt that Nabal was a loving husband. You know what else? She identified sin where it could be found. Verse 25. Let not my Lord, I pray thee, regard this man of Belial, even Nabal, Boy, this is this. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, thine handmaid, saw not the young men of my Lord, whom thou didst send. Hey, David, listen, I know why you're mad. My husband, Nabal, he's a fool. He's a fool. Now, your wives are like, you're telling me that God wants me to call my husband out every time he does wrong. That's not what I'm saying. But when there's clear wrongdoing within your purview, be willing to identify it as such and deal with it. So when a teacher emails you, texts you, calls you and says, little Johnny, little Susie's been acting up, you know what you do? You accept it as so and deal with it. Hmm? When, when Brother Davies comes to you and says, listen, I love you and I'm for you, but I've just been noticing something that really concerns me. Well, I'm just going to tell you right now, you're just wrong as you can be. No. If there's something there to be dealt with, then deal with it. Accept that it's real instead of deflecting it. Man, Abigail's something. Why can't I stay put? I keep walking away. You know what else she did? She reminded David of his testimony. Look at verse 28. I pray thee, forgive the trespass of thine handmaid. For the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord fighteth the battles of the Lord, and evil hath not been found in thee all thy days. David, remember, everybody sees you as righteous. If you do this, You'll lose that. You know what else? She saw God at work. 
Verse 30, it shall come to pass, my Lord shall have done to my Lord, when the Lord shall have done to my Lord according to all the good that he hath spoken concerning thee, and shall have appointed thee ruler over Israel, that this shall be no grief unto thee, nor offensive heart unto my Lord, either thou hast shed blood causeless, or that my Lord hath avenged himself. But when the Lord shall have dealt well with my Lord, then remember my handmaid. What is she saying? God's at work here, and he will take care of this. Have you ever been tempted to deal with something yourself and somebody had to remind you this is God's thing to take care of? Yeah. You know what else she did? She spoke truth where it would be received. She knew when to say something and when not to. Look at verse 36. And Abigail came to Nabal... And behold, he held a feast in his house, like the feast of a king, and Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunken, wherefore she told him nothing, less or more until the morning light. So here's Nabal. Nabal's having a great time. Woo! Probably everything in her wanted to say, hey, Nabal, you drunk skunk. You realize what was about to happen, don't you? But she didn't. She let him have his party. Why? Because no truth would be received then. God give us wisdom to know when to say something and when not. A word fitly spoken. A word in due season. Sometimes truth may be right on the money, but not right for the moment. I have these moments where I forget how to speak. It's not enough that we know the right thing to say. We need to know the right circumstances in which to say it. Witnessing. Sometimes all you can do is you're force-feeding the gospel. You have to have wisdom to know, you know, this may not be the right time. Now, don't use that as an excuse because it will never be the right time. But sometimes we just have to need wisdom. So what did, what did Abigail do? She waited until that truth would be received. Nabal wakes up, hungover. She tells him. <coughs> she told him the night before he'd never remembered it. I believe God can heal people of anything. And I believe there's a lot of times that we medicate people needlessly. But I do believe in medication. If you've got a headache, take something. Unless there's a good reason for you not to. Like if you're with child, steer clear of ibuprofen. I think acetaminophen is about all you can have. And you only have like one of those every 20 weeks or something. Okay. But I don't think anybody really would would advance the, under, advance the thought that, you know, well, God can heal us of anything, so I never take anything for anything, and I just, no, there's times it's good. I, I've, I've ministered to people that were 
legitimately on some kind of a drug to help them with anxiety or whatever else. I don't tell them, I'll just get rid of that stuff, it's no good. No, you know what I tell them? Take your meds. Because when they don't, it's hard to help them. If somebody's just off the frame upset about something, maybe wait a little while before you talk to them. Because they may not hear it. Ask God to give you wisdom to know not just what to say, but when to say it. Funerals. There was a guy in Alabama when I passed her down there. And the guy got up there and preached the funeral of this lady who was known to be a wicked lady. And he stood up there and he talked about how she had busted hell wide open. Everything he said was probably true. And they met him outside afterwards and beat the daylights out of him. You know what he did? He said, maybe the right thing at the wrong time. I'm told that in the early years of our church, there was a precious lady here that spake the truth and gave no thought to the circumstances surrounding it. Be careful, y'all. Be careful, y'all. And no, it wasn't Miss Collins. <laughs> Be careful. Because the truth needs to be delivered in a way that it's most effective. And Abigail certainly knew how to do that. So what's the, what's the so what? What do we take from this? I didn't put a so what on here? Oh, well. So what? We've got three people we're looking at, Nabal, David, and Abigail. In all of them, ask yourself, do I exhibit these traits in my own life? And as we look through these three, you know which example we ought to emulate. So may God help us to do that. May God help us to choose the right example.